phase is locked and ready to fire, sir. Illogical. Hello and welcome back to Federation Radio with your host Floyd once again. So, just to clarify so you're all aware, the way I do this now is on Wednesday I record, although it's Thursday because I'm a day late. It's me, I'm useless, I'd say this at the start, but whatever. Uh, so I'm here to record. I recorded the last episode, the Galileo 7, back to back to this one, but this one won't release until Sunday, whereas the Galileo one released straight away. And that's my intention going forward, is to record two a week on the same day, and have one of them come out on the Sunday. So I don't have separate recording days, in case you're interested. I just do it all at once, and I do two at once and release it, but I still do them weekly. That way we can try and get through the episodes a little bit faster. Or at least, you know, have a goal of one day finishing the whole series, which we'll get to. But anyway, so today's episode is actually kind of a cool one. Well, it's sort of a, a prequel episode. Well, it's not officially a prequel, but it's a bit of a prequel episode to, in the future, the Q, who are kind of like Trelane, who is a character. I'll explain who he is in a minute in this episode, but the Q are a lot like Trelane, and a lot of people really do point back to Trelane in this episode as being, like, the origin of where the writers got the idea for Q. There's even speculation on whether or not Trelane is a Q, potentially, although I don't think in the end he's meant to be but i think that it was initially even the writer's room they used like a trulane light character but anyway so they're traveling through space they don't really i think state where exactly they're headed this time but they're traveling and they find a planet but it's odd because the planet is on a star system that is basically empty the planet is from their scans, it is basically a desert world full of storms with an atmosphere that cannot be breathed for very long by humans, like not more than a few minutes at most. So it's basically an unlivable hellhole. But then, oddly, they get a message from that world, but it's not a normal message. It's no one trying to communicate with them or hailing them or any kind of buoys. An image shows up on their screen, like an old written letter that says, Greetings and Felicitations. And then, not long after, Kirk and Sulu just kind of vanish. There's a weird sound, like a bottom, and then they both just vanish, one after another. Spock and everyone else freaks out immediately, they start searching, and the opening credits start. And I just have to say, for a TV show that's trying to build up a bit of hype for itself, that is a really good opening to a show. Like, opening the show with, eh, it's a bit of a mysterious planet, it's unlivable, okay. And then suddenly Kirk and Sulu just like vanish off the deck and everyone freaks out. Red alert, where's the captain? Where's Sulu? And then credits, you get the Star Trek sign. Like, that's the type of thing that it's kind of a dying art form now that we don't really want. Well, we do have mainstream TV, but I don't know anybody under the age of 50 that still watches mainstream TV like regularly or tries to actually watch anything other than just the news or flicking through and they're bored on it no one watches like how many people do you know today that are like watching mainstream tv every wednesday or thursday at a certain time to watch a show like that's a very outdated concept for the most part now but back then it was huge and the ad breaks they were run at the end of the intros like that stuff was it was massive and those things were how they would advertise and market back in the day so back in the 60s when this was on this was a big deal so it was really, it's an interesting, it's almost a dying art form of like, it's the way we used to do things. For as I've said before, the new streaming services, it's not so much how things are happening now, or probably will ever happen again. There's no reason to ever go back to this. The new stuff is 
the content of the actual the actual quality of content I think's gone down, but the streaming service and the way it's done I think is much better. I think in future it will lead to much more creativity and freedom in writing for these things. But anyway, so yeah, so the ship is up there. Kirk and Sully go missing. Spock decides that he can't go down himself as he is now in command for all he knows Kirk is dead and never coming back so he is now temporary captain as is the job of the first officer however he does send down a team led by McCoy to answer the call of this greetings and salutations by whoever the hell sent it now they teleport down or transport down I should say um, and they're wearing full well not full but they're wearing some environmental suits which is basically at this point they're wearing a gas mask and they have some machinery with them. So they go down, weapons and everything ready, and they go down they find a house. Well, I say a house. They find almost like a castle would be more accurate, a castle or a chateau of some kind. It's, you know, it's a big stone concrete, stone concrete, whatever you want to call it, and it's got like metallic doors. It's meant to emote, get you this feeling of like an old manor this is like where an old rich aristocrat would have lived once upon a time they go in and they find some odd things it's almost like a museum of like 18th century culture of earth and then a couple weird like alien things like in one corner of the room i noticed and i thought it was pretty cool i made a note of it there's a salt vampire from the very first episode of star trek they've actually got like a salt vampire I don't know whether it's meant to be dead or alive, or whether it's just a statue, but it is a salt vampire standing in, like, an archway, which I thought was kind of cool and a really fun little throwback to, like, the start of Star Trek. But it doesn't really play a part. And then they find Kirk and Sulu, who are, like, frozen in space. They're, like, glowing green. It's like they're in an alcove held in stasis. They manage to free them, and then this man, Trelane, reveals himself. And he's wearing, again, 1980s, 1980s, 1800s aristocratic-like outfit. And he starts talking as if it was back then. He starts talking about the captain and all the conquests that the captain must have done to be able to get to a place like this. And they realize that from where they are in space, 900 years, if you were looking at Earth with a really strong telescope or some kind of machine like that from their position, you'd be seeing Earth... 900 years back well not quite a full 900 actually maybe yeah I'm trying to think 900 years because this might actually give you a key as to what era this was originally supposed to be in so 1800s uh so what is meant to be 2700s or something initially which we we now know whatever the number is doesn't really matter because we now know this entire original series at first they were vague about it but later on they very much do discuss this is the 23rd century so you know they're looking back a few hundred years anyway Trelane, he sees that and he just thinks what he's seeing through his telescope or however he's observing humans is what there is that's what humans are he hasn't really put together that there's a mathematical or a time issue so he hasn't really worked out that oh this is how they were back then so he still thinks we're napoleonic he still thinks we're like all about aristocrats going on military campaigns and conquests and all these sorts of things whereas as kirk says we're on a mission of peace we are not soldiers we defend ourselves and use military action only when necessary in self-defense and trelane just sort of he shrugs and he just sort of 
he winks at the camera he goes oh that's the official story isn't it it's like oh yes very very 1800s and kind of modern politics of like no we are always out for peace and of course that's just the slogan really they're declaring war is no different to warlords in the past they're just putting it through a bit of pr so it looks good whereas in star trek that's not true by this point we're supposed to have gone beyond that 23rd century it really is like kirk said we are on a peaceful mission but Trelane won't have that he doesn't believe that he's got weapons on the wall he's got maps there's a little headstone or not headstone but a little like statue with just like the torso and head of napoleon he brings up napoleon a lot as someone he quite likes you get the feeling though this is a very immature man or a very immature alien like he's basically kidnapped them he doesn't seem to care that they're there he is telling them that they can't leave they have to stay and entertain him they're gonna have dinner with him and he starts trying to talk to them and they realize very quickly that Everything here is a bit off. The food doesn't taste like anything. McCoy says it tastes like straw. Says the wine tastes the same. So it seems everything he's doing is mostly just an illusion. None of it actually has much substance. Now he tells the crew, interestingly, he tells Kirk and the others that he is able to do matter to energy transfer. So he's able to create the atmosphere and the environment and everything they have and the food from energy. Which is interesting, but... It seems what he was doing isn't quite true. Seems that was only partially true. I think he can only do certain things, but I think some things were created through his own innate power, not just using machinery to do these things. Because it seems like, because at one point, Kirk challenges him to a duel, which I'll say, you know, it doesn't really matter. It, this I'm not going to go step by step through the episode, but this guy is just messing with the crew. Kirk's trying to get out. And at one point, Kirk challenges him to a duel realizing he's immature and him and spock kind of discussing before this they've worked out huh because of course i should mention they find kirk kirk and that get beamed out by spock trelane doesn't find that very entertaining pretends to let them leave and then basically appears on their bridge messes with them a little more and teleports them all back down to the planet along with spock who he doesn't like because he finds spock to be adversarial and challenging and not entertaining so he's not a fan of him. He finds him rude. But basically, they all come back. He also brings down Uhura and one of the Yeoman. And he makes a comment about Uhura to Kirk that I found really funny. I actually wrote it down. Where is it? Um, destroys machine behind him. Ah, oh, here it is. Trelane calls Uhura a prize from one of Kirk's conquests in the Nubi... No, I can't say the damn word. He calls her a Nubian princess and i'm trying to say nubia that's the place nubia he says she must be one of your prizes from your conquest in nubia now he's being sort of kind to her but he's also kind of subtly suggesting that she because she's black obviously is a slave that he has been that he has gotten during his conquest which you know 1800s was quite common people that led armies would conquer regions and they would get exotic women from those regions to essentially be a slaves they're not they're not always full slaves like i think he was more implying a harem type women that you keep around for sex which aren't always you know they're not what you imagine for slavery they're not always whipped and treated badly in fact many of them actually quite enjoyed their lives because in comparison to what they had they lived a life of luxury they got clothes anything they wanted they just got to be the mistress of these rich people as long as they kept them happy for the most part 
obviously it sucks they shouldn't have been there in the first place but like compared to some of the lives they might have ended up having not always the worst so he's not necessarily implying uhura is you know his possession but he's not exactly being kind to her either when he makes that suggestion he then uses his powers of either the machine or his powers to dress the other yeoman up in some kind of princess gear and they dance and it's really weird and kind of cringy but uh Kirk, very quickly, like I was saying with his discussion with Spock, works out that behind the mirror where Trelane seems to be just... He won't leave it. He comes to the table to talk to them, and then he walks back to the mirror. He comes over to the piano where Uhura's sitting to talk to her, and then he walks back to the mirror. And he's sort of doing it obviously, like it's a part of the room that he seems to want to stay near, and Kirk and that realize this, and they work out, I don't think he's as powerful as he says he is. He's fallible. Things like the food not having flavor shows that he only has a cursory knowledge of these things. That makes him fallible. He is not all-knowing. He's not all-powerful like he's trying to make out. He's just making it seem that way with his machinery. So they he challenges him to a duel, figuring, oh, if he's so immature like he acts, he'll love this. He's always talking about fighting and conquest. Let's challenge him. He does. He gives him a pistol. And Kirk takes his shot, except Kirk doesn't take the shot at Trelane, he takes the shot through the mirror, and he was right, the mirror shatters, it also breaks a machine behind there, which causes the lights to turn out. And here's where I think he wasn't fully lying about his power. I think some of it was down to the machine, but some of it is him, because when the machine is broken, the lights go out, certain things around the room start to disappear, but not everything. Like, the whole area doesn't disappear and turn into a desert hellscape like the planet really is immediately. It's not like the machine was doing all of that. Just some things disappear. The lights go off. He loses some of his power, especially his power to stop them from teleporting back out, which is what they do. They transport back to the ship. But before they do, he basically yells at them and says, You haven't heard the last of me. I'll get you back. And then he sort of disappears into the machine or whatever it is in the wall. Now they go back to the ship and they try and leave. But they find very quickly that as they're trying to leave the system, the planet, Gothos, sort of appears in front of them again. They try and veer to the left, the planet seems to move and end up being in front of them again. They try and go to the right, ends up in front. They try veering all around and the planet just keeps on basically going on a collision course and getting closer to them. And then Kirk works out what's happening and says, fine, stop the ship, beam me back down. I'm going to beam down and speak to Trelane. And as he gets into the lift to head towards the transporter room, we hear the sound again, and he's teleported back down to Trelane, and they're one-on-one. -on -one. Except this time, Trelane, instead of being dressed up as a Frenchman in a, like, dining area to show off with them, he's now dressed as a judge. He's got the white wig on, he's doing the old, like, British judge, and he and this is where it really reminds me of Q, because I don't want to go too much into Q, but Q does the whole putting humanity on trial. He loves the courtroom drama stuff. So another being like Trelane using his power against humanity and putting them in a court setting, you have to look at the variables there and be like, there's a lot of crossover here. But um, in the end, Kirk ba basically gets put on trial. It's a fake show trial. Like I said, he's an immature, he's basically a child at mind, and that becomes clearer and clearer as the episode goes, that this guy is basically a six-year-old boy that just wants to play and is treating these humans because he's so innately powerful as if they were his play toys, having no responsibility, no respect for them, and not really caring what he does. He just wants to have fun. Which is interesting, because it means he's not necessarily evil. He's not torturing them. He's not some sadist that's like getting off on hurting people or enjoying it too much. 
But, you know, he is equally, these are living beings. These are thinking people. They're even speaking to them. They're actively telling him they don't enjoy this and that they want it to stop, and he continues. So, I don't know if I'd say that Trelane is outright evil, but he's definitely not a good guy either. He's a weird... He comes under the bracket of, in Star Trek, there are certain species like this, and we'll meet more of them. We haven't met the Metrons yet, but I'll bring it up when we meet them. But uh, the Q, Trelane, the Metrons, even a, later, a lot later on, we're not going to talk about them for a long time, but there's also the Wormhole Aliens, you know, which also go by a different name as well. And I can't remember what that is now. The Prophets. And there's all these weird aliens that seem to have power far, far beyond what even the most advanced like species that we come across have. They have power to the point where arguing whether or not they're a god is almost more accurate than how advanced they are. Because their powers over the universe and space and time and creation just seems to be so great that they're almost indistinguishable. And it's interesting because there's quite a lot of them, actually, in Star Trek. We meet a fair number of them over the years. And you'll see. I'll keep bringing them up when we do. But Star Trek now and again, like I said during Shore Leave, the more wacky episode that was to do with, like, Alice in Wonderland storylines and planets giving them things. Like You'll see there are some real wacky episodes like that where they're just, you know, they're throwing things at the wall because they just want to have a laugh and have a bit of fun and mess around with it and have a lighthearted episode, and that's fine. Like I said during Shore Leave, I enjoy those. But these are a little bit different. These are, they're not quite throwaway, like, crazy what-the-hell episodes. They're more dealing with a higher power that is directly involved type of stories. And that can be interesting in its own way because... You know, God is an interesting concept that a lot of people believe and a lot don't. But if God was in your living room turning your lights on and off and telling you how hot you'll have your fire and how to do all these things like in person and forcing you whether you liked it or not, well, the discussion around him would be very different. And in Star Trek, beings like that kind of do exist in the form of like Trelane. Now, I'm not going to go over step by step. Basically, after the court... They end up having another fight. Kirk convinces him that it's all about the art of the hunt and tries to buy time for his ship. His idea, I think, was let the ship leave and I will stay and play with you and you will have fun. You can kill me, but don't just execute me by hanging me. Let's actually make it a sport. You've got to earn that victory. Do you? you know, this intrigues him. So he gets him going and they end up playing, basically running around in the forest. He's using tree branches to fight him with his sword. He's kicking him over. But every time Trelane starts to lose, he uses his power to basically get back up on his feet or knock Kirk back away, put fences around Kirk so he can't escape out one way or another. He's playing unfair, he's playing dirty, he's cheating. And there's not much Kirk can do about it. But he just keeps trying because his whole goal in life right now is I'm probably going to die, but the longer I can hold out, the more time my ship might have to get out of the range of his powers. Which, you know, once again, and we've brought it up so many times, Kirk will throw his life away very quickly if it's necessary to save his crew. He always puts his crew first. And I personally really appreciate that. I think that's great. And they show it again here. Now the salt vampire statue I will bring up does get destroyed. In case anyone's like me and wonders about loose ends and whether things can come up again. No, that salt vampire statue does not come up again. It is not a living being. It was never checked on. Because when Trelane picked up their phaser and realized they weren't from the Napoleonic era, he tested it on the statue. Well, we say statue. For all I know, it was a real salt vampire who was very much alive and was just in some kind of stasis like Kirk and Spock before, but... 
like I said, we don't get an answer, it gets obliterated. So even though it's technically a loose end, no, there's no salt vampire. They're not going to be dropping it off. And as far as I'm aware, that may very well be the last ever mention or on-screen showing of a salt vampire. So cool. But yeah, in the end, Ryder's Kirk's about to lose. Trelane basically admits he's not going to let the ship get away. He's going to bring it back and he's going to play sport like this with each and every one of them. And Kirk kind of looks helpless, like he realizes what he's done. Not only has he doomed his crew and by failing to save them, but he's also kind of given him an almost sick, like, love of the hunt, which is going to lead all of his crew into being hunted one by one in a horrible way. But then two green energy orbs appear, like, above and start telling Trelane off and apologizing to the captain. And any suspicions you might have had about Trelane's behavior become very clear that, yes, he is a child. He is a spoilt child of a very powerful species, and its par- and Trelane's parents have now appeared. They apologize for what's happened. They're doing their best to fix up all the damage that Trelane did. They say they'll keep the atmosphere around the area for Kirk so that he can continue to breathe until his ship picks him up. They apologize profusely for the actions of their son and say one day when he grows up he'll understand how wrong he was. And Trelane continues to argue and says, but I was winning and this and that. And, you know, like most spoiled kids like that, the parents just kind of say, you know, come on, come with us. No, you're in the wrong. When you grow up, you'll understand. And they leave it with that. Trelane gets taken away. He disappears and Kirk's eventually let go back to his ship. Now, they do, I think, put some subspace messages out about the system because obviously in case something like Trelane ever happens again, they're cautious. But I don't think we ever hear from the planet Gothos again or anything like that. So I'm not sure whether anything ever comes of the Trelane episode in future. I will look it up because there probably is some like books or something. It could be interesting. But um, yeah, for the main stage of the show, that's it. It's a fun little episode dealing with godlike beings. It's, again, a fun little change of pace. Now, I know this is much shorter than the last episode, but honestly, I don't have much more to say because the episode was kind of... It was almost a bottle episode in his dining room and in the judge room. Like, it was very... They were only using one or two sets. They were trying very hard to not spend too much money on special effects and stuff, which is fine. They made an interesting and compelling story using very minimal resources, which saved them resources for stories later on. But yeah... Because of that, there's not a whole lot more to say. It's a cool episode about a powerful alien. They survived. As far as I'm aware, there's no real long-term consequences in any way to anything that happens here. So next episode, I guess we'll be back. So I'll see you all next week. Feel free to send in those emails. Chat with the show, whatever you like. Follow me on Spotify and all the other platforms I'm on. At some point soon, I will also be putting these on YouTube. But I haven't done it yet. And don't rush me because I will get to it. Bye for now.